Chapter Ten of On the Trail of the Space Pirates. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. On the Trail of the Space Pirates by Carrie Rockwell. Chapter Ten. Stop your ship and be recognized. The rasping voice on the audio receiver was sharp, a command to be obeyed. Tom turned away from the control board and looked at Strong, who was already reaching for the ship's intercom. Full braking rocket thrust, Astro, he yelled into the microphone. And make it quick, or we'll all be blasted into protons. Tom and the captain gripped their chairs tightly as the ship bucked against the deceleration force of the powerful braking rockets. Gradually, the freighter Dogstar slowed and came to a dead stop in space. Hey, yelled Astro over the intercom from the power deck. What's going on up there? We've just entered the outer circle of defense on the prison asteroid, Astro, replied Strong. We have to stop so they can sweep us with their radar and identify the ship. But I sent them a message in solar guard code that we were coming, interjected Roger, who was listening from the radar bridge. They still have to make sure it's us, said Strong. Identify yourselves, commanded the voice over the audio receiver again. This is space freighter Dogstar, under temporary command of Captain Strong of the Solar Guard, answered Strong. What's your business here? demanded the voice again. Interrogation of one of your prisoners. We have sent a coded message under code Z for Zebra to your prison commandant, Major Alan Savage. If you'll check with him, you'll find everything in order, said Strong. Very well, replied the voice crisply, and then added, Remain where you are. Do not move from your present position or attempt to send any messages. If you fail to comply with these conditions, you will be blasted. Very well, said Strong. Conditions are understood. Boy, chimed in Roger as he climbed down the ladder from the radar bridge. They sure don't want any company here. And for good reason, said Strong. The most vicious criminals in the whole universe are confined here. Every one of them is capable of committing any crime in the solar code and most of them have. The men here are the worst. They have refused psychotherapeutic readjustment to make them into new men. But I thought they had to go through it, sir, said Tom. No, replied Strong. Even criminals have certain rights in our society. They can either remain criminals and stay here, or be psychoadjusted and given new personalities. The ones that refuse are the ones on this rock. You mean, gasped Roger, that the men on this asteroid deliberately chose to remain criminals? Yes, Manning, said Strong. Rather than become healthy citizens of the system, they prefer to stay here and waste their lives in isolation, with no hope of ever returning to society. Can they change their minds after they get here? asked Tom. Any time, but when they get this far, they usually stay here. The men on Prison Rock didn't surrender easily. They are the toughest, most ruthless men in the universe. Attention, freighter Dogstar, attention! The audio receiver rasped into life again. You have been given temporary clearance. A space launch will ferry you to the asteroid. You are warned that any weapons discovered on your person, or acts that may be construed as providing aid and comfort to the inmates of this prison, will be considered treason against the Solar Alliance, and you will be subject to immediate disciplinary action. Tom and Roger glanced at each other, a worried look in their eyes. Strong just smiled. Don't worry, boys. 
That little speech is read to every visitor to the asteroid. Just the same, sir, said Roger huskily. I would prefer to remain aboard the Dog Star and give you, Tom and Astro, the pleasure of the visit. Strong laughed. They won't let you, Roger. They'll send up a crew of guards to search the ship, and the way these boys search makes a customs inspection look like a casual glance. Attention, Dog Star. A younger voice suddenly came in on the audio receiver. This is Lieutenant Williams aboard the space launch. We are approaching your starboard catapult deck. Please open the airlock and take us aboard. They sure don't waste any time, commented Tom as he turned to the audio receiver. Freighter Dogstar, Cadet Tom Corbett to Lieutenant Williams, he called. The airlock is open and the catapult deck is ready to receive you. At the same time, the young cadet turned the valve that would open the outer airlock to the jet boat deck. Five minutes later, the ship was swarming with tight-lipped enlisted solar guardsmen, who spoke to Strong and the cadets with cool courtesy. These were men who signed up for two years as guards on the rock, after competing with thousands of other enlisted men. A guard on the rock was mid triple wages for the two-year isolation. But more than anything else, the right to wear the bright white patch with a parallel ray gun in the center denoting their service as guards on the rock was prestige envied even by commissioned officers of the Solar Guard. After what Tom thought to be the most thorough search he had ever seen was over, Lieutenant Williams reported to the control deck where Strong and the cadets had been politely but firmly detained. He informed them that they were now ready to blast off to the rock, adding that a more detailed search of the area between the ship's outer and inner hulls would be conducted after they had gone. You mean, said Tom amazed, that you actually search the four inches between the two hulls? What in the universe could we possibly hide in there? I don't know, Corbett, replied Williams. We've never found anything there. He turned to Strong and smiled. But there's always a first time, isn't there, sir? Yes, of course, agreed Strong. You do a thorough job, Williams. Very good indeed. Thank you, sir, said Williams. You know, we've heard about you and the Polaris unit here on the rock. He turned to Tom, Roger, and Astro. We have a stereo of that mercury ball game you played at the academy when you were earthworms. What? cried Tom. You mean that game was recorded? It sure was, said Williams. But we've seen it at least fifty times. Well, blast my jets, said Astro in amazement. The game was one that the cadets had played when they first entered the academy. It had done much to unify the boys into a fighting team. An enlisted sergeant suddenly appeared, snapping to attention in front of Lieutenant Williams. Ready to blast off, sir, he said. Very well, said Williams, then turned to Strong and the cadets. Follow me, please. In a few moments, the space launch was blasting away from the freighter and heading for a tiny planetoid in the distance. As they drew near, Strong and the cadets peered out of the ports to get a view of the prison, but were disappointed when Williams ordered the ports covered. He smiled apologetically at Strong and explained, All approaches are secret, sir. We can't allow anyone to see where our defenses are located. You fellows certainly believe in keeping prisoners in and visitors out, commented Strong. Anyone interested in coming to the rock, sir, said Williams, is under natural suspicion. The three cadets gulped, duly impressed with the severity of the prison routine. Soon they felt the unmistakable jar and bump of the small space vessel touching the surface of the planetoid. 
the jets cut out suddenly and william stood up please follow me do not speak to anyone and do not stop walking keep your hands in front of you and maintain a distance of ten feet between you and the man in front of you he walked through the open hatch where a hard-faced enlisted guardsman stood rigidly holding a parallel ray gun at the ready with a quick nod to the cadets strong followed williams through the hatch at ten foot intervals they followed him out of the hatch with tom bringing up the rear and the enlisted guardsman behind him as tom stepped out onto the surface of the asteroid he wasn't quite sure what he expected to see but he certainly wasn't ready for the sight that greeted his eyes as far as he could see there was grass spotted with small one-story buildings to the left was a single towering structure built of titan crystal and on top of it was the largest atomic blaster he had ever seen he turned to ask the guardsman about the gun but was motioned ahead with a curt no questions keep walking tom continued to walk he noticed that they were heading for the tower as he drew nearer he could see men walking around a narrow catwalk at the top they all carried parallel ray rifles with miniature grids mounted on the barrel inside the rifle was a tiny radar direction finder it was a simple but effective control against escaping prisoners each of the inmates of the rock wore small metal discs welded to a thin chain around their waists the disc was sensitive to radar impulses and with no more effort than snapping a thumb catch on the rifle the guard could locate and paralyze the nearest disc-wearing inmate tom was so full of questions it was necessary for the guard to warn him again only this time in sharper tones entering the tower they were scrutinized and cleared by an electronic beam that passed through their bodies and indicated any metal they might carry once through this last barrier they were escorted to a slide stairs where williams left them throughout the entire procedure few words had passed between the cadets now left alone on the stairs they couldn't contain themselves and the comments and questions tumbled out did you see the blaster on top of this place roger blurted out those radar-controlled parallel ray rifles are really something said astro the thing i want to know said tom is where are the prisoners i haven't seen one yet and you're not likely to either cadet corbett said a gruff voice above them they turned to see a heavy-set man wearing the uniform of a major in the solar guard standing on the floor above them the slight stairs carried them to his level and captain strong hopped off and extended his hand in greeting major savage he explained good to see you again same here said savage returning strong's firm hand clasp he turned and faced the cadets so this is the polaris unit eh he smiled we really enjoyed the stereo of that game of mercury ball you played back at the academy thank you sir said tom lieutenant williams has already told us how much he liked it come into my quarters and relax i imagine you could do with some good solid food after those synthetics on your trip we certainly could sir said strong they followed the big man through a sliding panel into a suite of comfortably furnished rooms five minutes later the cadets and the officers were enjoying their first hot meal in a week as they ate major savage brought up the purpose of their visit so you've come to talk to bull coxine eh yes nodded strong and i don't imagine he has developed any affection for me no i wouldn't say he has replied savage 
In fact, I don't think Bull has any affection for anyone, not even himself. Why do you want to see him anyway? Strong quickly summarized the theft of the adjustable light key and the unsuccessful search for Wallace and Sims, concluding finally with the knowledge of Coxine's association with Wallace. I'm hoping Coxine will give me lead to Wallace's whereabouts, said Strong. Well, you can ask him, shrugged the Major. But personally, I don't think you're going to get any further than saying hello, if he'll even let you say that. He hates you, Strong. Hates you in a way I've never seen a man hate before. When you talk to him, be careful. I will, said Strong grimly. Don't let him get near you. He's the strongest man I've ever seen. Came blasted near choking a guard to death with one hand when he escaped. He could break a man's neck with both hands. Strong smiled. Evidently, Major, you haven't noticed the size of Cadet Astro. I'll take him along with me for protection. He looked at Astro, who flushed in quick embarrassment. Very well, Strong, said Savage. I'll have a jet car brought around. You can go right down to his hut. Eh, uh, may I ask a question, sir? asked Tom. The Major smiled. Go right ahead, Corbett. It's about this whole setup, explained Tom. I was expecting fences and prisoners and, well, most anything but green grass and small white buildings. The little huts you saw, replied the Major, are as much of a prison as we have. Each hut holds one prisoner. He has all the necessary furniture in addition to audio sievers and story spools, which he can change once a week. He also has basic garden equipment. All prisoners grow everything they eat. Each man is dependent on himself and is restricted to the hut and the area around it. If he comes within two miles of the tower, the guards will pick him up on radar and order him back. If he comes within one mile, they fire without further warning. Only one man has ever escaped, Coxine. And that was because we had a sick man on guard duty, or he never would have made it. He overpowered the guard, took his uniform and stowed away on a supply ship. We caught him a year later. Didn't your radar pick up the disc he was wearing, sir? asked Roger. That method of protection was only installed a few months ago, said the Major. And the prisoners just sit there in those little huts? asked Astro. Yes, Astro, said the Major with a tone of finality in his voice. They just sit. This is the end of the line. The three cadets looked at each other and secretly vowed never to take a chance of doing anything that would send them to the rock. Five minutes later, Strong was driving a jet car along a narrow paved road toward one of the white huts. Astro sat beside him, grimly silent, his hands balled into tight, ham-like fists. They rounded a curve and Strong pulled up in front of the house. As they climbed out of the car, they could see the trim, neat lanes of the little garden, with carefully printed signs on each row indicating what was growing. They started for the house and then stopped short. Bull Coxine stood in the doorway, watching them. Dressed in the snow-white coverall of the prison garb, Coxine faced them squarely. His thick, trunk-like legs spread wide apart. He was a giant of a man, with long, heavily muscled arms that dangled from a huge pair of shoulders. His jet-black hair was a tangled, unkempt mess, and his face was scarred and lined. Eyes blazing with unconcealed hatred, he waited for Captain Strong to make the first move. Hello, Bull, said Strong quietly. I'd like to talk to you. 
Oh, you would, huh? Coxine spat, and his lips twisted in a mocking grin. What's the matter? Afraid to talk to me alone? He indicated Astro. Did you have to bring one of your space cadets for protection? Listen, Bull, urged Strong. I was your friend once. I turned you in because you were a mutineer, and I was an officer of the Solar Guard. I'd do the same to this cadet if he tried what you did. Yeah, I bet you would, snarled the criminal. Just like a real friend. His voice deepened into a low roar. Don't talk to me about the old days. I'm on the rock, and you are just another Solar Guard space crawler to me. Now get out of here and leave me alone. I came to ask you to help me, Bull, Strong persisted. I need information. Coxine's eyes narrowed into slits. What kind of information? You once tried to hold up a credit exchange on Ganymede with a man called Gus Wallace. He had a hideout in the asteroid belt. I'd like to know where it is, said Strong. Why? I can't answer that, Bull. What do I get if I tell you? Nothing except my thanks and the thanks of the Solar Guard. And if I don't? I'll turn around and leave. Then start turning, Strong, snarled the giant prisoner, because I ain't got nothing to tell you except how much I hate your guts. Astro moved forward slightly, but Strong held him back. Okay, Bull, if that's the way you want it, I'll leave. Why don't you let the young punk try something? challenged Coxine. I ain't had any exercise in a long time. Strong looked at the huge man and said coldly, I wouldn't want the death of a piece of space scum to show on his record. Then, as if the space and sky overhead had suddenly been torn open, there was a flash of light, followed by the roar of a tremendous explosion. The ground trembled. The air seemed to moan in agony. Strong and Astro wheeled around and looked toward the tower that shimmered in the light of the late afternoon sun. To their horror, they saw the unmistakable mushrooming cloud of an atomic blast rising in the synthetic atmosphere behind it. "'By the craters of Luna!' gasped Strong. A second flash and explosion rocked the prison asteroid, and suddenly the tower disappeared. Almost immediately, a spaceship appeared over the small planetoid and began systematically pounding the surface installations with atomic blasters. "'Captain Strong!' cried Astro. "'Tom and Roger! They were in the tower!' "'Come on!' yelled Strong. "'We've got to get back!' You ain't going nowhere, Strong, snarled Coxine behind him. I've been waiting a long time for this. He suddenly struck the Solar Guard officer with a heavy rock, and Strong slumped to the ground, unconscious. Before Astro could move, Coxine smashed him to the ground with a blow on the back of the neck. They both lay deathly still. Then, as the atomic bombardment of the penal asteroid continued, the giant space criminal jumped into the jet car and sped away. End of chapter 10 Recording by Hihikiti <laughs>